Welcome to the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio, a place dedicated to animals and all those who act to protect and advocate for them. Hi, I'm your host, Erica Salvamini, and I'm thrilled and honored to be here representing All About Animals Radio using my voice for the animals. Thank you for joining us for what intends to be a thought-provoking and soul-inspiring series where we discuss topics aimed at understanding the importance of the relationship between empathy, animal rights, and our peaceful coexistence with the animal kingdom. And now, on to our show. Hi! Today we welcome Anthony Lovell, who is an endangered wildlife poet. In early 2021, he was persuaded to follow his passion and return to his 10-year-old self, which is his lifelong love of animals and nature. Finding these loved ones under existential threat on a global scale, Anthony became a voice for the endangered, using emotive poetry to draw attention to the animal's plight, and he found his audience. Welcome, Anthony. It's such an honor and a pleasure to have you here. I'm so glad we can chat together today all the way from the other side of Mother Earth. You are in Australia, aren't you? Uh, Yes, Sydney, Australia, which is not where I live. Um, I'm just staying here next to uh, Olympic Park where there's a Royal Easter show and I'll be reading poems over the next few days at the Wildlife Pavilion. Oh, very nice. So you're there for a few more days still? Yes, he arrived last night. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for waking up extra early, or maybe not. I think you did say you were an early bird, because it's it's Wednesday evening here on the East Coast of the U.S., but it is now Thursday morning for you, isn't it? That's that's correct. Just after 7 a.m. Thursday morning, but I've been awake since 5.15. So. Yeah, I can, I can get with that. I'm an early bird myself. So, well, thank you for your willingness to work out these logistics um, and work out our, our time difference so that we could come together for the greater good of our animal friends. And this has been a, a long time in the making. We've been, I know we connected on LinkedIn a few years back uh, through our shared love of animals and our devotion to animal advocacy work. So it's nice that now a few years later we can come together and do this podcast to talk about our animal friends and hopefully bring awareness to what's going on yeah, exactly and I think I remember seeing your name from my earliest days on LinkedIn so it's it's a while yeah yeah it's been a while we've both been out there fighting the good fight and uh till our last breath right exactly yeah definitely well let's start out with the basics uh maybe you can share a little bit with our audience about who you are and how you became involved with animal advocacy work yeah i I'm not. I guess other people say I'm involved with animal advocacy, uh, or what I do is write poems about animals and and you know the good, the bad, and the ugly of uh, what's going on with them. But um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, stuff that's not very good. No. And uh, so you know, I've written quite a few poems that are, are trying to highlight uh, the plight of um, wildlife uh, in this day and age. Um, I started started out probably 18 months ago, two years ago, um, commenting on some of the um, posts I saw on LinkedIn, which were talking about these kinds of issues, all the issues that wildlife is facing, yeah. loss of habitats and plastic pollution and 
and um, you know trophy hunting, all those kinds of issues. And so I started commenting on various bits and pieces and some of those comments I started doing in little verses for some reason. And uh, then I, I remember actually there was uh, World Wetlands Day came out and I, I wrote a full poem about wetlands, about how they used to be called bogs and swamps and you had to drain them and there were you know, places of disease and all that kind of thing. And so I wrote a poem talking about, you know, how important uh, wetlands are for biodiversity and, and all that kind of thing. So I flip, flip it, flipping it over. Um, and from there, I, I started writing other poems and started a series on endangered animals. And that's where I, I started to, to get some traction, people liking what I was doing. The first series of poems I wrote was called The Tribe Endangered. And I started picking um, endangered animals and writing, writing um, poems about them. And that's really how I, I got into it. And I just, just kept on going. And, uh, you know, I was writing other things as well at the time. Um, and it was actually my wife who helped me to really focus on that. Uh, she's a personal coach and hypnotherapist. Ah. And uh, one day she just, we just were wondering what we should be doing. And I was wondering what I was, should be doing because I was in a job that I was particularly unhappy with. Yeah. At the time. And this was during the, the early days of the pandemic as well. And so it was getting getting worse because I didn't get to I didn't get to stand down. I had to work all the time. Ah. Um, that was the nature of what I was doing. I was able to keep working. Um, but I really was unhappy and didn't see a future for what I was doing. And, and so we did a little she did an exercise with me to clarify what was really my driving passion and it was there where we you know my earliest memories are of wildlife and animals my mother used to look after orphaned possums and and um, you know birds and things like this and um, I remember we lived just down in a few houses up from where there was some bushland um, some forest Australian forest and we you know I used to spend all my weekends and mornings and afternoons going up the bush and looking for animals and looking for fish in the creeks and turtles and, and things like that. And that's that's what this little exercise came back to, that that was my first love really um, in, in life was, was wildlife. And uh, in those early days, of course, I wanted to own them. I wanted to have fish tanks and wanted to have turtles in the pond, in the fish pond and... <laughs> And, uh, and lizards and all that kind of thing. But on my website, I've, I've published a, a, um, a photograph of me at, at around 10 years old. And I've got a turtle on my lap and a bearded dragon on my shoulder and a, and a blue tongue skink in my hand. And that was my, that was my life. And I, that was my love. I, and so, you know, life goes on and you get involved in, in uh, you know, looking for... Um, a career and all those sorts of things. So you go off on a different direction, different tangent, and it took a long time to get back to it. You know, after after sixty, <laughs> getting back into what I really, really want to do, yeah. and that's um, and now, of course, in those intervening fifty years or so, things have got so much worse for wildlife. You know, like a seventy percent decline across the board in wildlife on the planet. So 
it's alarming and we need the, all the voices that we can to yeah. um, raise raise awareness that that's a trend that can't continue because it's basically suicidal. Yeah, I agree. And um, I love the story. I love how your wife helped you bring that out. Uh, something that was obviously with you always and just lying dormant. You know, we have, I have the same thing where I, I just loved animals my whole life. They pretty much got me through a lot of really tough times in life and are always there for me. So I can totally relate with what you're saying. And, you know, we have to grow up or at least we're told we have to grow up. And so we tell ourselves we have to grow up and get jobs and pay our bills. And we don't think about that stuff anymore. We still love our animals and do what we're doing, but you just kind of go about your life. And then until, until one day a pandemic hits and then <laughs> we're all forced to sit and really take a hard look at what's going on in life and what's going on in our own lives. And um, for some, it was very tragic. And for others, it was, uh, I don't know, life affirming. It changed a lot for a lot of people. I mean, for so many different reasons, but what you're saying is more or less the story that I can relate to. Yeah. I'm very sure a lot of people can. Yeah. Um, that was, I mean, the, probably the one good thing that happened out of the pandemic is that everybody around the world was thinking the same thing at the same time yeah um and really seeing how connected everything was yep. so it'd be nice if we could take that positive and turn it into you know looking for solutions for the major problems we have Absolutely. And, and and of course there's climate change which has its implications for wildlife but there's also the direct issues with regard to wildlife and and really the very important issue that is that we only have a biosphere that we can live in because of what wildlife has been doing for you know, millions of years. That's right. Um, and so, by you know, by trying to wipe them out intentionally and unintentionally, um, you know, we're actually interfering with the life support systems of the planet. So, that was my reference before to you know, wildlife keeps us alive, and so we've got to keep it around. That's right. It's uh, completely, um, what's the word? Of course, I'm missing the word right now, but, um, you know, we do it together. We can't survive without without them. They can certainly survive without us. They'd be, they'd be peachy keen without us uh, mucking up everything. But um, we really should take a, well... Many of us do take a long, hard look. It's unfortunate that the the money and the power interests are what call the shots around the globe, um, the, the that machine. And so they're not willing to just drop what they're doing and say, oh yeah, let me take a look at, at what they're saying. And maybe we really do need to take you know better care of wildlife because they're taking care of us. They just yeah. fast, you know, immediate gratification and that's it and they don't think about what's coming in the future for our grandchildren mm. yeah business as usual is um not an option but it's no. certainly certainly enduring i actually wrote a poem during my time just bau kills business as usual kills and it was about all the animals coming to the doors of corporations and saying you know excuse me <laughs> um you need to change what you're doing yeah. Basically, yeah. So that one was only published on LinkedIn. I haven't published it on my website, but I'll have, might to, have to revisit that. it. That sounds like a good one. I like that. 
I have great visuals in my mind with that. Um, yeah, that's, uh, well, I was going to ask you what inspired you to become a poet, but it sounds like you've kind of already answered that. But so you were never really, you never wrote poetry in your life growing up? That wasn't your thing? Like on the side, a hobby or? I remember once when I, when I was studying, I studied journalism. My first degree was in journalism and and, and uh, one of the subjects we had there was creative writing. Oh. And I remember I did, a, I did a poem at that stage when I was, um, well, this was about 1988, 87, 88. Um, and the lecturer said, oh, he said, you know, I remember still very clearly, he said, oh, there is talent here. But, you know, when you set people up with a, with a rhyme and then you change it, it annoys people or it makes them crazy or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think I'm still doing that, so I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, the only poetry I ever wrote apart from that bit was really just uh, when I first met my wife. So, you know. That's nice. That's and, uh, So she said she's still got a little satchel full of those kinds of things. But I wish I could show you this, but I've got a bird at the end of the table, just looking to see what's happening. That's um, And, uh, yeah, so I hadn't written anything, you know, poetic. Well, certainly, not, certainly not in other subjects other than, you know. Love. Well, it's, it's uh, very apropos then that she would be the one to help bring that, um, that out of you. Yes, yes. And, and in fact, um, I have two guest poems on my website. One of them is from her. <laughs> uh, she, she also, you know, used to write poetry and she can write poetry and, and she did. So after I started doing this, she wrote a little poem about me. Um, just forget the title for the moment, but um, it might come back to me. That's lovely. I'll have to go back to your site and check it out. In fact, that's a good segue. I was going to ask you, how did you come and arrive at the name of your site, which is the the one million poetry dot com? Yeah, that's kind of important. Otherwise, it makes no sense. And unfortunately, it's like when I left Rockhampton yesterday, where I, up near where I come from, it was 30 odd degrees. I'm in the park here this morning and I've got a, a T-shirt, a shirt and a jumper. And I can't show you, but underneath here, I've got a, the one T-shirt in the universe that's got the One Million Poetry logo on the front of it. <laughs> a T-shirt, but maybe it'll warm up later today. Um, but yes, in, in 2019, uh, IPBES, um, which is something like the Intergovernmental Panel on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services or something like that, um, a group of scientists came up with the sort of watershed really report that said if human beings kept on going in the same direction um, it was going to uh, lead to the extinction of one million species and that really stuck with me you know that's I started then writing about you know how big one million was because I, I had the I had the um, idea that people don't really understand how big a million is. We can say, oh yeah, a million species, a million dollars, it sounds okay. Or if someone said, 
if someone said you could have a million dollars, I'd say, great, sounds like a lot. But people didn't really comprehend it. So I wrote a whole series of poems about how big a million is. And one of those things is um, if, if you had one endangered species every metre, um, then, you know, in one kilometre, you've got 1,000 endangered species. Right. But then, you know, you've got to walk 1,000 kilometres to get to 1 million. Mm. Um, it's, um, it's, just, it's just huge. Yeah, it is staggering. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, actually, it's just started raining here, which is interesting. I see that. I see that. Um, there's blue. There's blue sky, but not. Uh, it's just very light rain. I can see a shed over there. I'm going to have to keep going, but I'm going to have to go and grab some shelter. All right, you go ahead and and start walking. We can, yeah, we can still go on. So if that um that really sort of was something I had to to. Uh, address that one million and that's where the whole concept came from and then in in the course of writing my poems um, someone called Ingrid Lung um, from the Earth Agency in London she um, she started making some comments about my poems and liking them which led to eventually her asking me to write um, some poems for the launch of her website, oh. um, the Earth Agency website. So that was my first commission, actually. That's lovely. And uh, yes, and so it was. Um, it was a, a kind of a breakthrough. Uh, so I wrote the poems, and she liked them. She published them, and um, and from there, we've sort of kept in contact. And so after the poems were published, I asked her to actually do a, a branding exercise for me. And sorry, I'm just trying to get you back on the screen. That's all right. We can keep talking. Sure. And uh, and see and see where I am, see where my photo is. So yeah. And so from there, we um we entered into this branding exercise. And so I thought that maybe at the beginning, um, she would sort of, you know, try and brand me as the poet. But what she came up with was the one million. That was really the, the main message. But we, we really don't know what even losing a few species means, let alone one million. So it's something we really have to turn around. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. where the whole branding came from. And then in 1988, in Australia, there was a, a television um, ad for the RSPCA, um, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. They had uh, a, a campaign called All Creatures Great and Small. And to that music of that famous song, they had all these animals walking across from right to left on the screen with bandages on. Oh, and so they, oh. they had dogs, of course, they had dogs and cats and they had um, donkeys and elephants and and at the end of it, a little wombat that kept on coming onto the screen and then running back and coming onto the screen and running back. It's, it's on my website, I think, the web the thing, but that, that was something I had in my mind. And so from there, we came up with the logo, the um, 
the, the group of endangered species walking right to left um, and a little wombat at the end facing the other direction, walking, you know, walking away from extinction when the others are walking towards it. So that's where the that's where the whole concept of the one million poetry came from. I like it. It's very powerful, and uh, I had no doubt it would be something meaningful like that. Well, I'm wondering, what do you think is the most effective way to help change people's attitudes towards animal welfare? You you really have to engage people on an emotional level. And I think that's that's what I try to do with my poetry. And so even even if um, even if it's sort of not always positive, at least you're engaging with the with the um, emotions of the person because that is that's a motivator. You know, I call it you know emotives or emotivation. It's really, it's really about getting people to um, see what the issues are and feel, feel something about it, because that usually tends to make you want to do something about it. You right. feel good about it, you feel bad about it. Um, and so one of my early, early poems was um, preemptive lacrimation, which basically means crying first. Um, and so I, you know, I wrote that song about do it now, you know, cry now while we've still got the species, because then you might want to do something about keeping them here right. instead of crying later when it's all over and they're gone. And just those tears then would be just redundant. So it's very true, very poignant. Um, cry and, and get busy. Yeah, and so in, on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, um, I've got. Uh, I call you know, I say that I make I make people cry while their tears still have potency. And it, 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 yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense without reading the poem, but I still put it there because it makes people think and hopefully want to read. Yeah, no, I like it. I think it's great. Yeah. That's what poetry is about, and it is. Uh, yeah. People yeah. feel. And, and hopefully think about what it is that they're feeling. And, and like you said, maybe do something about, about whatever it is, whatever the issue is. Yes, and, and um, also the reason I really chose that was because quite a number of the comments that I had were, you know, which, which have been published on the website, you know, like, I'm crying again, but I'm crying. You know. <laughs> it, was just, it was just there. So I thought, well, okay, that's how some of my poems are affecting people but that's good at least that's a hook it is um, yeah. getting people right where that you need to get them right in their heart so that you know they'll hopefully want to do something and make a difference even if it's just talk to somebody else about what's happening share mm. with, bring awareness use their voice um whatever anybody can do um you know we all should be doing something it's not just for it's for the greater good i mean we're all one whatever happens we're all in it together kind of like what happened with the pandemic so it it behooves all of us to take a really good hard look at what's happening in the world today and not look away 
yes, it's painful sometimes and yes, it's upsetting, but that's the point, isn't it? It's kind of like what you said about the crying, you know, you don't want to be upset and sad after the fact, like, oh, boo-hoo, the world's coming to an end, right? <laughs> and I, I really wish we had done something about it. Well, now's the time. Now is the time. We are, we, the time has run out. We have to do something now. And yeah. And it's it's one of it's, it's one of the advantages of being human is that you can you can do it do time travel to a certain extent you can go into the future and look at the scenario and say what would I really think what would I really feel if this was the case and that can be enough to snap you back to to the current time to say okay I don't like that alternative future right. I've got to do something to make sure it never happens. Yeah, see it through to the end. I talk to my kids about stuff like that all the time. Like, think about this situation, whatever it is, and think it through to the end. Where does the end of that scenario land you? In you know what situation? And if you shudder, <laughs> you know, change it. You have the opportunity now, and that's where we're all at now with this situation. And um, so, I think what you're doing is beautiful and lovely, and I'm so thankful that you are doing it because it brings um you know it makes people feel good and sometimes it makes people feel upset but that's okay because you're making people feel on, and on an important subject matter so is there anything that you'd like to share with us today on any campaigns you're working on or petitions or projects that you'd like to share while we are um yeah the this year, we're doing you know, quite a few interesting things. Um, probably the, the, one of the things I'm going to focus on a lot this year is, is this book here. Huh. I don't know. It looks backwards on my view. I don't know whether you can see it on yours. I can see it. Wildlife and the Balance, Why Animals Are Humanity's Best Hope. Simon, yeah. I believe I have Good. that. Good. That that book really, I mean, I've, I've been on the right track, I believe, for, for quite a while. But this one really, really flips things around. That's where I started talking about before that um, it's wildlife that's actually creating the life support system of the planet. Um, and in this book, Simon's a, an ecologist. And he kind of flips it over. He talks about how this all came about and, um, and how animals are, are sort of moving energy around, concentrating energy that would otherwise be causing the planet to be uninhabitable. Ah. Um, so it really goes right back to that, how life changed what's happening uh, on Earth, how, how life made um, the whole biosphere which makes it possible for us to have the life that we have now. Even to the extent where we think we grow stuff in the soil and we can just keep putting chemicals in, but there were no chemicals until humans came along. Um, nature was doing it quite nicely, creating fertile soil. And it was doing that by the soil food web, all the, all the life that's in the soil, all the animals providing the nutrients into the soil. And over billions of years, it built up a topsoil that we use to farm to grow food for us. And then at the same time, by clearing all the 
um, the forest, you know, to grow food and various other things. We're actually getting rid of all that life that created the things in the first place. So it really is interfering with the life support system of the planet. And that's why he subtitles the book, Why Animals Are Humanity's Best Hope. We, we need to have hope. There's certainly, that's the case. But if you can actually make that hope tangible, there's, there's a solution sitting right there. Yes, we have to do what we can to, to get back within the carbon cycle with our own um, civilization and habits. Um, but that's only one thing we have to do. The other easier thing to do is just to stop destroying wildlife and then get back into rewilding and getting 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 the wildlife of the earth back to back to work to doing what it has always done and is doing and is eminently capable of doing. Um, and so that's why I think rewilding is really important. Just planting trees is not enough. You really have to to look into the restoring restoring ecosystems and restoring habitats to what they were before. And so that's where you can see all the big mistakes by you know people hunting um, for for you know just just for. Um, trophies or just for competitions or or whatever um you know land clearing all the all those issues they all sort of are adding to the re reduction of wildlife and as i said before uh, in the last 50 years a 70 percent reduction across all wildlife to the point now where only think 10 percent of the biomass on earth is wild animals and if that's not alarming for people when they're the ones that are creating the life support system, then you need to get educated. And that's what that's one way of getting educated. That particular book. So I really would push that one very hard. It's a, it's, it really makes it very interesting because it really starts at the very basics about that embodied energy. Now animals concentrate energy and move it around and um, have really captured energy that wouldn't be very good um, for the planet. So we really can't afford to mess around with it. No, we have much to thank them for. And how are we thanking them? By pushing them to the brink of extinction. It's not not working. It's just not working. Um, I think I'll put that link underneath your profile as well, if you like. Yes. Mm -hmm. People can remember. To yes, I, as well. I wrote a poem. I, I, the second I put this book down, I wrote a poem. And when I finished it, and um, it's called Bravado, and that's on my website as well. And it really just just says this is this is really a, an important book. I also saw yesterday a story on um, on LinkedIn where a group of scientists were saying the same thing. It's it's starting to become one of the great things about social media and other media is that. Yes, it can spread bad ideas really fast, but it can spread great ideas really fast too. And once people start to understand the importance of wildlife, then hopefully they'll say, okay, well, let's do, you know, what can we do? And that's that's when people, you know, all the rewilding, all the, all the ecology, all those sorts of things that help to reestablish habitats will really come into their own. Yeah. If, if you listen hard enough, it is starting to take hold and hear it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it yeah. will happen fast enough. 
and the governments and the uh, policymakers will will follow suit and not drag their heels because they're beholden to big money interests. And so we all have to keep talking and yelling and screaming and you know talking to our legislator legislatures and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And um, so with that, I want to say thank you um, for sharing all of this information with us today. Um, for our listeners out there, please know that Anthony's website is, once again, www.the1millionpoetry.com. And all of his social network and website links will be included in the notes on the podcast show's profile page so that you can get um, get more information there. Please visit these links and support Anthony's beautiful work. And in doing so, you'll be supporting wildlife. And in doing that, you'll be supporting yourselves because we need wildlife. And please also remember to follow All About Animals Radio on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You may also subscribe to our podcast from Amazon, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, Apple, and YouTube. And Anthony, I want to thank you again for being here with us today. Uh, your beautiful heart-led and soul-inspired work is so important for bringing awareness to the plight of the animals. And it's also enjoyed and appreciated by me and so many others. So please keep on doing it. And I will look forward to checking out your new poems that I haven't read to date. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you here today. I hope that we get to do this again sometime. Hey, hopefully in warmer circumstances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting warmer here. I'm uh, last time we spoke, I think I was in a sweater and you were like in shorts and a t-shirt and now you're starting to put on the warmer clothes. And as you can see, I've, I've got my tank top on today. It's uh, 80 something degrees here in, in uh, the U S and the East coast. So things do change. Yeah. We're on the other side of the planet. So. Yep. I hope it's a wonderful um, world. It's a wonderful world and technology can be very good for bringing people together. Absolutely. When Bring you've got the right message. Bridges all the gaps for sure. And folks, if you stay on past the end of our interview, you will hear Anthony's beautifully written and powerfully evocative poetry series entitled Sacrosanct, which I have been honored to be able to recite for you. So I hope you'll you'll stay on and join us. Thank you all for joining us here today. Bye for now. Be well and namaste. Bye. Bye, Anthony. Take care. Sacrosanct. First Excursion by Anthony E. Lovell, The Endangered Wildlife Poet. My Manifesto. Preeminent in my heart, I hold this true. Life is sacred, other life too. With it, I share my world, Earth, life sanctuary. First Excursion. Elevated topmost in my mind, guiding light enshrined, way of life and living aligned. Journey to the center of the heart. Expand the heart to contain this planet, distinguished by life, safely contained in this highest chamber, four chambers actually, holding on for dear life as our own held most dear, pinnacle of safety, respect, and love. Then we go outward and make it so, push to the planetary boundaries, the biosphere's edge as far as we can go, life's planet shared, earth, sanctuary, Sanctuary Earth, and more rarefied, even higher, sanctified, our sacro sanctuary. Alchemy Israel in the furnace of the heart, transmuting the mundane into the sacred, 
the lead of unconcern into the gold of a sacred throne from toxic dead lead weight to durability, beauty, and worth. A golden throne of the mind, whatever seat of power you imagine on that throne, love reigns supreme, sovereign. Life is elevated, enshrined, love and life in a sacred bind. The heart can then overrule and the head will follow the sacred road paved with gold back into the outer world, carrying a prize, a caravan, a tethered line of treasures of the mind on the backs of ships of the desert. Virtues that can change the world for the kinder based on respect. Life is the treasure. We treasure our own. What of other owners? Spark of life sharers. Where will we all find sanctuary if not on the sanctuary planet? When will life be treasured, recognized for what it is? Where will its flame be protected if not in this globe, its light, its life? Its life, our light. Perhaps we're all alone in the cold universe. Maybe the only place where mistakes grandeur rules, but we're in good, com in good company. We're safe and warm. Even the cold-blooded, altogether home in one place only. Preeminent in my heart, I hold this true. Life is sacred, other life too. With it, I share my world. Earth is our sanctuary and more, where our means all, our sacro sanctuary. The sanctuary begins in the heart, protected by the rangers of the mind, well-armed, formidable defenders with right thinking to shield. The living things within, search them all out, bring them all in. In this inner world, a kingdom of your creation, your rule is soul. You make the rules. First, yourself to follow. Decree, life is sacred and it is good. It sounds like a mystical experience. However imaginary it has to be, we don't yet understand how life sparked. In a primordial soup pond or deep ocean volcanic vent, yet it is the same spark in any single-celled creature as in every cell of our beings. In life, we are all bound together. Take two steps from the heart to the mind, then to the world outside. Precursor to a Terracarta, Expeditious Emissary. Three more journeys and their messages follow. Sacrosanct, Second Excursion by Anthony E. Lovell, the Endangered Wildlife Poet. Second Excursion, Cetaceans. We must make them sacrosanct, a do not touch species and their family. Do not disturb cetaceans, free and safe to swim the ocean, serve their purpose as evolved, and must continue on. We must create an inviolable place of safety, a sacred sanctuary in our hearts and minds, hunting expressly forbidden, never thought of again, unthinkable a harpoon gun, the very thought of it pains. With the imagination of humanity captured, brought to bear to share, our common planet and life heritage, the sanctuary we made will envelop life in the interconnected oceans in a vast safety net, starting at the top, cetaceans, sacrosanct. 
Sacrosanct Third Excursion by Anthony E. Lovell, the Endangered Wildlife Poet. Third Excursion, Great Apes. Orangutan, we must make them sacrosanct, a species left alone to just be, a man of the forest, a person like it used to be, when there was so much more forest, and many more such people in the trees. Take no more of their home to build our homes with theirs, to put palm oil in our food more tasty. Leave them in sanctuary. Raise it up in our hearts and minds. Don't buy into their demise. Don't buy what cuts down their home. Recognize their rights to personhood, finally understood. Gorilla, all three, mountain and lowland, cross river too, descendants from the trees, as indeed are we stayed in the forest's embrace. Then the forests retreated as we advanced. Leave them in peace, exemplary, at one with and in nature. Original forest rangers, custodians, we must bring them into our sacrosanctuary. Sacrosanct, Fourth Excursion by Anthony E. Lovell, the Endangered Wildlife Poet. Fourth Excursion, Elephants. We must make them sacrosanct, another fellow sentient, social creature, family-oriented, last of the proboscidean lines, like the mammoth and the mastodon, so many have been chased by us down extinction's road, one way, leaving only three species in living legacy, African, forest, and Asian. All share the same societal behaviors we value in our own, some even better when it comes to child rearing, it takes a herd, more in tune with the earth than us, feel the vibrations of their seismic society, feet made for walking, firmly grounded, numbers going into free fall, their populations will crash into the ground unless they can roam in safety in their own territory, sovereign. They must not go down their forebearers' road, provide them sanctuary, thick-skinned sanctity wherever they roam, sacrosanctity. We must not go on one by one, adding verses for each species we've endangered, but I will. We all share a common origin, a common ancestor, a common home, life in common. On an uncommon planet, the only life-bearing one as far as we yet know, sanctuary of life, conditions just right, life proliferate. Whales convoked, great apes evoked, elephants invoked, a new way of thinking, relating, recognition is coming their way. We protect what we value, what cherish, what we love most. Us is now extended, family, sacrosanct. This has been Erica Salvamini for the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio. A special thank you to Chris Corley for generously lending us his song, Zero Gravity, for the Rising Lioness podcast theme. Please take a moment to write a review for our show as it helps others to find us. Please also support our guests and their work, All About Animals Radio, and our social networks. Doing this further supports the animals and their advocates too, thereby making you an Animal Kingdom warrior also. You can find our links on the Rising Lioness podcast page. Until next time, in the words of Sharon Nunez, animal equality president, remember this. 
the small actions of one passionate individual can create a butterfly effect leading to a movement that has the power to change the world. Please use your voice for the animals today.